from Luke. Jesus said, Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. Be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet, so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will fasten his belt and have them sit down to eat, and he will come and serve them. If he comes during the middle of the night or near dawn and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. But know this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. This is the good news. Please be seated. There is so much happening in this text. It's one of those teachings from Jesus where as soon as we think we have a hold on what he's saying, he kind of like changes course or mixes metaphors or switch topics entirely and just adds to the confusion. Duke preaching professor Jerusha Neal names this so well. She says, based on initial reading, this passage is full of shifting identities. The function and character of God as well as God's timing remain mysterious. Is God's arrival to be longed for or dreaded? And who is this divine mystery, this shepherd who breaks into homes, this master who returns from weddings to serve food to bleary-eyed servants? She continues, everything hinges, of course, on who readers imagine themselves to be. Our identities shift in the passage as well. We are frightened sheep and we are heirs of a kingdom. We are keepers of treasure and we are slaves. We are either owners of a house or accomplices to a great heist. It's no wonder that people say scripture is incredibly confusing. It's no wonder people shy away from diving into it. And it's no wonder that the church is implored to read and interpret it together in community rather than to go off on our own and attempt to understand it as individuals. It is a lot. Well, the more I studied this passage this week and its surrounding chapter, and the more I listened to the voices of others who had studied as well, the more I think that these many mixed metaphors actually come together for one picture in four points. One, the way many of us are doing life is harmful. Two, somehow we insist on choosing this way anyway. Three, the kingdom of heaven is a gift and the better way. And four, if we shift our focus, we can live awake to this kingdom. And I'll come back to each of these. First, the way of the world is harmful to ourselves, others, and creation. This is all part of uh, chapter 12 in Luke, and the rest of the chapter is about worrying about the wrong things. So it starts with the story we heard last week uh, of the rich man who is so caught up in his financial future that he neglects to actually show up for his life and to even notice the people around him. And then next in the chapter, which gets skipped between last week and this, is uh, the one about being mindful of the sparrows and lilies. Remember that text? Look to the birds of the air. Look to the lilies of the field. Uh, God takes care of them. Why are you so worried? 
So people are so concerned about their food and their clothes and, and all these things that they forget to trust and simply be present with the God who loves them. The world of Jesus' day and the world of our day forces people to look out for themselves first or only most of the time. If the way of the world supports community, and it often doesn't, it's in an effort to work toward the greater good rather than the common good, so it still pits people against each other, either between communities or even within. The world sets up inequities where people have to fight over and hoard their resources rather than share the abundance that exists. It sets up hierarchies where people find their worth in their wealth, especially as compared to each other. It sets up systems where people are so focused on the security that they can shore up, that they center their whole lives, relationships, vocations, resources, and energy around those things. And when that happens, it naturally comes at the expense of those on the margins, who are seen only as competition and threats, at the expense of creation, which is then seen only as commodity, and even at the expense of our own identity and purpose and self-worth, because then we are seen only as valuable for our ability to acquire and produce. Throughout this chapter, Jesus invites listeners to step back and notice. Notice that these things that we're so worried about can easily become obsessions, powerful driving forces that take control of our hearts. Because our hearts naturally gravitate toward the things we care most about, right? They go toward the thing that we're invested in, or as Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In scripture, another name for the thing that we give our heart to is an idol. So the question becomes, what are those idols actually giving to us? What are they offering us? What is the hustle to prove our worth actually doing for us in return? Maybe temporary pleasure, the facade of joy, but is it real? Is it lasting? Is it healthy? If not, it's harmful, and it draws all of us, all of creation, away from true life. So the question again is, why do we insist on choosing this way when it repeatedly comes up empty, when it consistently disappoints us? Why do we do this? And I say us because I am at the front of that line. Why do we do this? Well, the answer comes in the beginning of today's text. Jesus says, do not be afraid, little flock. And anytime the gospel says, do not be afraid, it's because there's something to be afraid of. Jesus names the very real struggle that humans face to choose wealth and a false sense of security over life and freedom, and that thing is fear. Fear is so real, and it's so big, and it can be so overpowering. It's hard to trust that we will be okay when we don't secure that okayness with our own hands. It's hard to trust that there's going to be enough for everyone when we've been taught to think in terms of scarcity instead of abundance. Fear is often a liar, but it is a strong motivator. So the good shepherd diagnoses the flock's problem. It's fear, and then quickly moves on toward the way to overcome it. Because our idols might not be able to offer us anything real, but God does. 
Jesus says if we give our hearts to God, if we invest all of our heart into God, the gift we are given is the kingdom of heaven. And it's so tempting to hear this as Jesus saying along with so many other Christians, if you trust in Jesus as your personal savior, you'll get to spend eternity with him in heaven, right? That's often how we hear the gospel spoken. That's not it. Jesus was actually not that interested in that. He was clear in the gospels that the kingdom of heaven is not up there, out there, sometime down the road. The kingdom of heaven is now. It is now, it has started right here. It's a way of life, the kingdom of heaven. It's a way that we move through the world. Certainly, we experience it more fully beyond death, but that's not what Jesus was super interested in talking about. It's about how we engage the world right now, and God believes that life in this kingdom right now is what's in the best interest of ourselves and others and all of creation. So Jesus says, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus pitches this radical idea that his followers stop orienting our lives around fear, spending all of our energy worrying about money and clothes and food and status, and instead, he actually invites us to just shed all those things. Get rid of anything that has become an idol in order to help us experience the gift of the kingdom. I would love to let us off the hook. I know that I am in you know, the percentage of like the most wealthy people in the world. I recognize that. I can't let us off the hook. Jesus isn't saying, just give a little away. That's all I really mean. Jesus is saying, give it away. Sell your stuff. Give it to the poor. If it's strangling your identity, if it's occupying your thoughts too much, let it go. Give it away. Rather than serving the empire, shift your priorities to serve a loving shepherd God unafraid. Unafraid and know that the moment we do that, a richer life awaits us. Consider Jesus' words, that one of the many metaphors in this text, about the servant. Right? The slave is waiting for the master to come home, and the slave's job is to be there and be ready. So the moment the door is opened, how can I help you? What do you need? Sit at the table. I'll make you food. No matter what time of night. And what happened when the master arrived? He gets himself ready and has the servant sit at the table and feeds him. He meets the servant's needs. It is so easy to like gloss right over that and lose it in the text, but that is huge. That is mind-blowing. That is a total role reversal. To turn our gaze and our hearts away from idols and toward God is to find everything we thought we knew flipped upside down. It's to find that our needs are cared for, that we are seen and appreciated in all of our dignity. This text is interestingly bookended by mentions of thieves. In the beginning, Jesus encourages his listeners to make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. And at the end, Jesus describes a scenario where if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Two thieves, one who is apparently coming for our earthly treasure and one is planning to plunder and turn over a home, both presumably we should be afraid of. But if the whole point of this story is not to worry about our possessions, 
then why are we so concerned about the second thief breaking into the house? What if there's more to the metaphor? What if we aren't the concerned homeowner? What if we are meant to be complicit in the theft? In the words of Alice McKenzie, God's holy thief is a burglar who comes to steal our false priorities and overturn our unjust structures. When it breaks into our house, we will never be the same. The first thief comes to steal and destroy. Perhaps the second brings salvation. Perhaps the gift of the kingdom is that it asks us to relax our death grip on our possessions and relieves us of the pressure, the anxiety, and the fear of living up to the world's ridiculous standards. And then instead, we're able to live in community, bound to one another, centered around love and hope and justice. So how do we shift our focus to live awake to this kingdom? Jesus says it a few times. It's like one of the only few threads in this text. Watch and wait. Be ready. Be expectant. Be ready for God to show up in the world. Assume it will happen. Trust it will happen. Be ready. Recently, a member told me that she had bought a certain blue SUV. I don't remember the maker model. But as soon as she did, she noticed that everybody else at this church has it. I don't know which one it is, but if you have a blue SUV, it might be you. She said that's all she sees in our parking lot all the time. And we all do this, right? We buy a car and then that's like the only car we see on the road. It's because when we're paying attention to something, when we've tuned into something, it becomes our filter. It becomes all we notice. It biases the way that we watch. So friends, let's bias our sight to watch for God. Let's be tuned in. Let that be our filter through which we see the world. Let's look to the familiar people and places around us and expect God to meet us there. And then, let us also watch the people we least align with and the places we'd much rather avoid. And then let's expect to God's, God to surprise us and show up there too. Let us never assume that we know where God is going next. Let us keep alert and be ready to move when we see the flicker of the divine. And when the holy and mischievous thief comes into our homes, may we fling the door wide open, extending a joyous invitation, come on in, rearrange it all, take what you need, that we might be ready to receive and live out the gifts of the kingdom. Amen. Would you pray with me? God, with so much demanding our attention, demanding our hearts, demanding our energy and compassion and passion, help us to fine-tune our sight. Help us to be biased toward you. Help us to watch for you, to be ready to go where you are, that we might live out the kingdom, to love and serve our neighbor, to find that our needs are met when we do that because we are all caring for one another. Help us to be the kingdom of heaven here on earth, bringing hope and life and peace and justice in your name. Amen.